Welcome to the Rock and Roll and Coffee Show, episode number 63. Tonight, my guest is the founding member and guitarist of the band, The Romantics, and that would be Mike Skill. Now, The Romantics had hits such as What I Like About You and Talking In Your Sleep, um, huge on radio and MTV in the early to mid-80s, I would say. And what I did not know is that The Romantics have been nonstop since then. They've been doing shows and tours all the way up till probably the, till last year when the pandemic hit. Now, during that time when everybody was locked down, Mike uh, started recording some of his own stuff and has recently, recently, recently released probably about five songs that you can find on his website at mikeskill.com. Mike has a full-length record coming out in September, which you should be on the lookout for. Um, from what I've heard, everything sounds incredible. So if you're a fan of the Romantics or that kind of, uh, you know, rocky with a little punky edge, you're going to love it. So check that out. Now, if you want to help support this show and help it grow, all you need to do is go over to Apple Podcasts and... Uh, Go ahead and rate us. There's a little star rating they have there. I think some of the other sites have a rating also, but uh, I know Apple Podcast does. Go rate us over there, and if uh, you want to leave us a review, that would help us also. And don't forget to follow on all social media, Twitter, Facebook, and uh, probably most active on Instagram. You can find us on all three, at R&R Coffee Show. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Mike Skill. Thanks for listening. Hey, Mike. Hey, how you doing? There you are. I, Joel, is this Cabilia? Close. Sibilia. Ah, yeah, the Sibilia, okay. Yeah, the C is silent. Yeah, I'm Skill, just Mike Skill, as in Scalacci. Yeah. <laughs> Scalisi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's Sibilia, but you did you did great at pronouncing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a pleasure to meet you, meeting you and talking with you. Yeah, right? I'm getting ready to talk to you. Yeah. Yeah, how how you been? Pretty uh, well, busy, actually busy for the last year, We're trying to, you know, keep busy uh, releasing singles and, um, you know, stuff uh, got finished up, production on stuff got finished at the right time a year and a half ago. Yeah, you yeah. Know? So, you, so you, I just, you've you been working on a lot of songs last yeah. year, right, during this whole uh, pandemic. Yeah, I, um, well, I, fin- I finished up a whole lot of songs in, um, in two over the time of about two or three years uh, ago. And a lot of them really came to uh, finalize in the last uh, year and a half or two. But, um, and so I, they're sitting around and I send them out to uh, Chuck, occasion uh, he's in at Pearl Sound Studios in Detroit area. And um, he's done a lot of people. He worked with Chris Cornell and, you know, remixes and stuff like that, Madonna, that kind of thing and mm-hmm. Tool and those. So I didn't know, really know, I wasn't too aware of how much work he did until, you know, I talked to, talked to other people and uh, checked him out. Um, and so he took these tracks I had that I had mixed and, uh, and um, I didn't master them yet. And uh, he took them to this other level and really, really jump off the, jump off the board, you know, during a remix. So, yeah. He remixed mm-hmm. them for me. And, uh, and I started releasing them as time went on. And I, uh, I, I recorded, uh, finished recording some in his studio finished some recently the last few months i finished some vocals on some stuff and in guitars and you know so it's been ongoing mm-hmm. it's been an ongoing thing and most of them are going to come up on the album release uh uh coming up 
And that's coming yeah, up, what, sub September? Yeah, September, exactly. Okay. And uh, a single, uh, the new single will be out uh, July 16th. And yeah, so that's a lot going, there's a lot going on, keeping busy and, and following the rules. <laughs> now, now during, when you were recording all this, I know you recorded most of the instruments, correct? Uh, I do bass and, bass and guitar. And uh, with romantics, originally early romantics was all four guys were lead singers. So we all sang lead vocals. But by the time we recorded two albums, the magnifying glass was on two guys, you know, which is kind of a drag. But uh, we were complaining as things were working, you know. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, um, it's me and usually Brad uh, Elvis from uh, he was with a group, the uh, Elvis Brothers, and he's been with romantics for like what 15 17 years already yeah, a long time yeah so after jimmy left uh he he jumped in after clem clem burke was in with us for a couple of years and uh johnny b from mitch rider's band in detroit mitch rider and the detroit wheels um he, he he came in uh for a while before for brad and then brad jumped in so we have we've had some really good drummers i mean geez we've been lucky yeah yeah so, so, so I, and we have like a connection i i, I uh, played bass uh let's see brad came in i was playing i think i was playing bass then uh, brad came uh, i think it was with clem so i was doing bass and guitar and then i jumped over to guitar 2011 back over to guitar like i did in the beginning early days of the band mm -hmm. um and so me and brad have this like uh connect you know we have this little connect uh guitar wise and rhythm section wise and he sets up he know he sets up a good rock set you know for the live show you know so I was, and he's good at uh uh keeping me in line on uh arrangements sometimes and and that kind of thing you know we, we work together writing songs and stuff so mm -hmm. it, it was a natural thing so he still, he still works with me okay yeah, i work with him yeah now these songs that you're putting out now have they been around for a while or are they all new creations uh generally new all generally new in the last uh i say four or five years but uh like 67 rye was something i've been thinking for quite a while since uh 2000s um oh, wow. uh, early early 2000s and uh 2000 actually like in the late 90s i was thinking of the title and uh it, i didn't get into it till later uh 2010 or something like that I start start kind of trying to come up with something for it and just uh you know how it is um when you're writing, it just pops in and something just fits. Yeah. And then I started coming up with the right lyrics, the right lyrics, and uh, slowly but surely, uh, let's see, I had a, about, I had, you know, three verses, I two two verses, I think, and then I went to the studio with it like that, with maybe, I don't even think I had a turnaround. And, and the, you know, the studio becomes your, you know, some, it becomes your palette, like your painter, you know. It's yeah. just like things come to your mind, come to mind in the studio for me. Yeah. And most musicians, I think, but, um, yeah, so I completed, completed that in the studio, the arrangement and laid it down with a friend who just happened to play drums. I said, just get on the kit. He's, you know, he's not an accomplished player, but he can play a beat. So I, uh, just told him, sit down and play a one, uh, you know, on the one, you know, kick and stare and a hi-hat and don't really go anywhere else. I, Right. I don't really need that because I wanted to, um, it's just a straight groove. And I laid the track down there and just started overdubbing stuff and and it really worked out really well. How did um, you how did you get Wayne Kramer involved in that? 
Well, I, well, you know, well, yeah, I mean, since 1970, well, uh, late 60s, I, I heard uh, MC5 uh, on a 45 my friend had. You know, we're kids, you know, riding our bikes and, uh, man, you got to hear this song. It's all fuzz tone and feedback and, you know, reverb. And and uh, it was looking at you. It was the 45. So that's my intro to MC5 music. And, uh, you know, we had been, I had my own little junior high school band, but, uh, and we'd heard about the Motor City 5. And uh, they used to play bowling alleys and, uh, car um, burger stands and that kind of thing. Early, early, early days when they first uh, got together. But um, we'd hear about that band, and then we'd hear about Iggy and the Stooges, and you know him bringing the uh, the vacuum cleaner on stage and the peanut butter and all that <laughs> stuff, and people going nuts. And you know, uh, so my introduction to Wayne was that, and uh, it was actually it was like a Eddie Van Halen thing back in that day. You know. Yeah. He was just over the top. He was over the top. And um, we're in the studio, and I had finished the 67 Mariah, and I, I go, Chuck, you know, I always wanted to get somebody else on it, maybe like Wayne Kramer or something. He goes, well, call him up. You know, he's he's always prodding me. Call him up. And uh, Did you already know I, him? I didn't know him. I met him. I, I knew him. And, and, hi, hello, how you doing? What's happening, man? Really short conversations. And, uh, at, you know, like parties. He, he comes in with Johnny Thunders back in the eighties or nineties and late eighties, nineties, when, when they were in a band together around Detroit, um, uh, they'd come into a party or something. I'd see them and they'd say, skill, hey, skill, blah, blah, blah. And that's about it. But then, uh, we played a lot of shows with, um, with Sonic, uh, Fred Sonic Smith, the other guitar player from the MC, MC5, the Romantics, early Romantics did. So, you know, those guys were always in my in my head, in my magic bag of uh, music go-to of the way they play. And um, I, and I was really kind of afraid to call him, you know, being kind of like an idol, you know. And and um, I called him up and I think I got a message and I called back and talked to him for a minute. And he said, send him to tra- the track over. And I sent it over and he liked it. And 67 Riot and all about the Detroit riots. Um he lived through, I lived through when I was like 12, 13 years old and, uh, uh, you know, with Jeeps down, down in our, na- in our neighborhood and tanks going down the street yeah. and all that stuff, the helicopters in the air and the new news making a bigger deal. It was, a, it was a big deal, but I mean, they made it more frightening for everybody. Kind, kind of like um, they do now. Five miles, five miles away in Detroit, you know, not just, not even the suburbs, but just the Detroit to telling you. It's coming down to your street, your neighborhood. Oh, Watch out, you know, that kind of thing. All the stores. There was a place called Gratiot Auto Supply. It was like the big hot rod uh, where guys got all their equipment, uh, the stuff for their cars, converting their cars, race cars and everything. And it was on a main street and they had big, big um, picture windows and they knocked out the picture windows and windows and put in cement block. I mean, hmm. stores were, people were uh, freaking out, you know, they just, uh, that's a big boarded deal. up their windows, yeah. Hmm. So that's so a big. That's a big. You were saying? Yeah, yeah. So so you reached out to him, and then he got back to you because he like. Yeah, it. he got. Yeah, I sent him the track, and he loved it, and he, uh, um, and he put his uh, twist on it. I told him, just do what you do. I don't, don't, you know, I'm not going to tell you what to play. It's uh, do what you've always done. Throw, do your guitar work, and uh, that's what he did, and came back wild, pretty wild, over the yeah. top, crazy, that's really awesome. good. 
you know, his, his, I don't want to say crazy in that way. I mean, like he's out there where he gets to this other vein, like he's somewhere between, uh, uh, out there rock and roll and jazz and, uh, you know, Sun Ra, you know, Sun Ra jazz and all that. He gets, he gets in the, in this, this vibe going like the vibe used to do. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, I always say, if you don't ask, the answer is always going to be no. <laughs> right? Yeah. What, what's the yeah. worst that happens? He, he says yeah, totally. no. Right? But if you don't ask, it's always going to be no. That's right. That's right. I've got to remember that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. And, uh, you know, I got to say, all the songs I've heard, are I, I love them. They're great songs. Uh- you know? oh, really thank you man that's that's good praise i uh i've seen your your history and uh i love what you do man oh, you I, checked I, it I out. had the chance to hear your new stuff the stuff you got out but, um but big machine i had heard the name of it yeah and uh yeah working yeah. working that thing that's good yeah that was a little project it didn't last too long but it was a fun project with uh and, with brian from acdc 2015 yeah yeah that, yeah yeah it was a while ago, now, but fun times. And that's not so far along. It's just times were faster. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Um, um, now you're in Florida. Are you in Florida? No, you're not Florida? anymore. I'm in, uh, now I'm in South Carolina. I'm in the Myrtle because Beach I, area. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I used that's to. That's great, other. Yeah. I, I, I was in Florida when that whole thing was going down, but now I'm in, uh, up here in South Carolina. Oh, great. Yeah. You're you played the big in, in Portland, right? Yeah, I'm in Portland, uh, um, Detroit, uh, my home, and uh, I was born in Buffalo, Buffalo, New York, and I was there for about four years, and my mom and dad uh, scooted down to Florida for uh, six years. They, my dad had a little house built back in, back in the 50s, and I was growing up after that, uh, coming along, and moved up to Detroit just in time for Motown to just put out the, You Better Shop Around by Smokey Robinson. So uh, that's what I started hearing. Right, right. I was about ten years old hearing Motown and and all the songs, and we had a really great radio station coming across from Canada, uh-huh. Windsor, Canada, is right across the river, and they play uh, everything from uh, well, they played all the Motown stuff, and then you were getting James Brown and Aretha with the Rolling Stones and Roy Orbison and Elvis, and yeah, you know, a few country songs here and there, and it was like a great school for us in town. It was really a great schooling to have a, to have uh, all night. You could you have your transistor radio under your pillow listening to it. Yeah, the transistor. Yeah. <laughs> not not an iPod, right? <laughs> no. Well, kind of the same thing, but kind of, but you, with more static. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've never been out to Portland, though. Um, I've got some good friends that live out that way, but I've never been out there. That's but right. I, and, I hear um, it's great. Well, I. Um, my wife, he, she went to, I met her on the road with the tubes. She, she was uh, dancing with the tubes and uh, she's a beauty era. Uh, one of our first show, shows after, um, let's see, after, uh, was the Red Wing Stadium in Michigan. It's a, a hockey stadium, like a, a not a, a, minor, a minor league hockey stadium. And we opened for the tubes and it was in heat, the in heat record with uh, Talking to Your Sleep. It just came out. Yeah. Come out. And, uh, I met her and she lived in Portland. I visited her. Uh, saw her on the road back and forth. We were we toured with the tubes and then uh, she went home and um, I met up with her later that year after the tour or something. It was probably a while after that because it was a long tour. Hmm. And we've been together ever since. I have a son and 
Nice. He's a piano player, photographer, graphic artist. Okay. Doing really well. All right. Yeah. Piano player, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He comes in when I need like a parfait on something. And uh, I say, just play these chords, hold these chords straight. That's the old style. Don't, yeah. You don't have to do anything. He could play anything, but I got to, I got to, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I gotta tear them down and just play it really like this, two two fingers. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> now, now you wanted to play drums, is that correct? I started uh, banging on pots and pans and and a, a Boy Scout snare drum from the marching band. I joined in like eighth grade, I think. I joined. Um, my friends were all in the Boy Scouts, and I joined and just get the snare drum, get in the marching band. <laughs> Because we couldn't afford drums or anything really uh, that yeah. kind, and, and I had learned uh, how to play Satisfaction, just uh, you know the beat, and uh, and I so it went from there, and I, I in my head was a, a drum set, and uh, got a snare drum from that marching band and brought it home, and then they wanted it back, and then I, I had quit, I got out of Boy Scouts, <laughs> had to give it back. wasn't that into it, um, and. Uh, and they wanted their snare drum back, so that ended that. Uh, Damn it! Next, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, my brother and I, uh, my parents took this to uh, the, the big music store here, uh, Artist Music, and uh, we used to go to ride our bikes up there every Saturday, and uh, look at all the Vox amps and everything, and and, the, and drool over the Vox guitars and everything, the Gibsons, and and uh, we went in there and they bought us a couple of guitars and I ended up using his used one. My, my new one was the strings were a mile off the fretboard and I used his. <laughs> That's good for the fingers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're right. It strengthens. <laughs> but um, yeah, so um, and uh, pretty much uh, junior high school, I, I had a, uh, that little band and uh, uh uh, went on to go to high school, ninth grade, and met Jimmy from the Romantics, the Reno's drummer. And all through high school, we played together and jammed, mostly jamming. And we played a few uh, Notre Dame dances where, uh, at the time, you know, the young Ted Nugent's and the Bob Seegers were playing and the Frost and Grand Funk and those guys were playing this uh, school. You know, they'd put a tarp down over the gym floor and we'd play our little set around the corner on a small stage and they'd play on the bigger stage around the bigger area. That's fine. And, uh, yeah. So it was really a cool thing. Ted Nugent at, uh, Denby high school back when he had the Amboy Deuce, which wow. was a really great band. They, well, he had one of the tightest bands with, uh, keyboards and, uh, really a psychedelic kind of thing. Not a, you know, he didn't really sing. He was, uh, they had a lead singer, but it was a really great band uh -huh. anyway, until he started swinging on the, uh, Shooting arrows and wearing a <laughs> loincloth and and uh, swinging on a um, Tarzan rope, we kind of like dropped the ball on that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were safe for us, so we moved on to other things as far as my band and friends and everything. So yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Now yeah, in Detroit, was there a tight? Um, were were there a lot of local bands that were you guys were tight with? Uh, pretty much a lot of our friend musician friends were in bar bands and they played uh, four sets a night at a club and do, um, uh, there's one called jet black was out of Arizona. They moved to Detroit and they used to play all the cool songs, like, uh, all the glam rock stuff, Mata Hoople and David Bowie. And, and those are the kind of friends we had. We had, uh, we, we were going to, um, uh, Detroit was like, 
a cavity. It was like there was nothing there. There was nothing downtown during the 70s. Uh-huh. After the gas crunch of the uh, car cars being made in Japan, there was uh, everything just like broke down and um, buildings, no one in the buildings. And, uh, you know, then it got worse later, 20 years later, but um, 15, 20 years later. But uh, we were the only ones going town, downtown really it was uh, the really the the big uh, office buildings maybe for the state and the city. And, and then we'd go down there at night to a uh, Masonic temple or uh, um, the rainbow rainbow club or which was John Sinclair's club. And, um, and uh, we'd see all the band and we just go down and see music and, and uh, from Roxy music and Lou Reed and all that stuff. Uh-huh. Patty, Patty Smith and, in the later, in the later seventies, but, um, and, and, um, so our thing was really just hanging. We hung with ourselves. We hung around as a band, like a group of us. And uh, we'd go to these, uh, the cooler uh, bands that were hanging at the clubs and they'd be wondering what we're doing. Cause we, we didn't play anywhere, but we, we were writing songs. We were, try, we were just all original. We we're just doing all original stuff. No covers. And th- yeah. This is before mm-hmm. romantics. And mm-hmm. uh, I think one year before the romantics uh, really got going, we did, we did a stint at a, at a, at a bar where we did uh, three sets, two sets were original and one long set was uh, covers. And uh, we did that once. And that was the end of that. And we just, <laughs> the romantics happened not too long after, after that. Now the romantics, you guys got together in what was it? Uh, 76. 76. Uh, okay. I think we started. Yeah. Cause me and Jimmy had been together since like high school. And uh, you know, here we are coming into our twenties or something. And uh, we're still banging around and, in Detroit, most bands after you know they they get out of school and they got a job and that they they get a um, a storefront like an old storefront it might have been a it may have been a, a hair salon or something in the fifties or something it's a, okay. it's a store that too small for anything else that was going on so we'd get the, these for like we'd rent these for like ninety dollars a month and go in and tear it up and uh, tear it apart and put all the uh, the foam up and the egg cartons and we just like live in there practically and. Uh, um yeah we, you know, we did the i same remember thing being with warehouses. there about 365 days a year going there on christmas eve or christmas day and building base base cabinets or guitar cabinets and stuff so yeah, yeah. and then um we put together this one group uh uh the motor city rockers and um uh, it was me jimmy this guard guitar player good little rocking guitar player and uh a harp player who couldn't who didn't really keep a note could sing a note but he played really kick-ass uh, <laughs> harp and he looked great he was a great front man but uh that lasted for a little bit we went to see, uh the, one of the girlfriends called cbgb's because uh, we we'd look at uh we'd be reading um uh the magazine music mag- magazine out of there i can't think of the name right now uh, um i can't think of the name of it yeah uh where they had pictures of new bands coming out of New York. It was all like all New York. You see Blondie and the Ramones. And so we'd see uh, CBGBs in, uh, in there. And uh, one of the girlfriends uh, called up Hilly at uh, called CBGBs and asked if we could come in and play. So we, we drove, uh, got a big U-Haul truck, which is like three amps and a drum set and a drum platform. Jimmy always had to have a drum platform. Oh, drums yeah. moved around, moved around, <laughs> and we drove there. The truck broke down in Ohio, and oh no! <laughs> he had to get another truck, and it was just me and him, and uh, him and I, and uh, 
we made it to New York, played the show, met Sylvain Sylvain and a few other people uh, nice. from that rock scene. Yeah, and came back and and they, uh, that broke up and um, we decided to take a little like rest, a break from we've been together for so long trying to pull someone in and for a lead singer. Um, it just wasn't, you know, everyone was at that time. Um, the 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 key to having a su- successful group was to have someone like a Mick Jagger or a Bob Seger or a Iggy or a yeah. Bob Tyner or yeah, a, a front, a front man, yeah, yeah, and it was kind of not a good thing, you know, to keep yourself stuck in that thing until we saw, you know, like the Dolls and Lou Reed and Television and all these bands doing it on themselves, doing it themselves, like DIY do it, uh, you know. Uh-huh. I can do this too. I can write songs too, and uh, or I could sing. And then, so that's the way that happened. We just started uh, uh, thinking in terms of that. And uh, how, um, how did you meet up with Wally? Well, um, let's see. Uh, uh, one of the later bands that did uh, we did uh, the covers and did the club uh, that broke up. But in between, we did a recording session with someone, a lead singer, some guy, and. Uh, he had a band, and uh, he I I, used, I played bass at this time. I, I was originally a guitar player and played bass through high school, and uh, so I was hired to do the bass, and Jimmy was hired to do the drums, and Wally was singing backup for this uh, recording session, and I met him like a couple of years before uh, Romantics and before we went to New York. And when I got back from New York, um, uh I saw, you know, the jam was a big influence uh, when the, the jam from, from London came out to look the way they looked mm. and their music. And I love the mods, mod, the whole mod look and, and the who. But uh, then the Flame and Groovies record was coming out. So the, those two things, the Flame and Groovies record and and uh, the jam and the whole new new wave punk scene was happening. That kind of threw us into like, uh, I can do that, too. Like, uh, um, I. I had that record, uh, um, "Shake Some Action" from uh, from the um, Flaming Flaming Groovies, and uh, I brought that over to Jimmy. I, I rode rode a bike over, whatever, went over there and uh, showed him the record, played the record, and man, we we're just going nuts over this straight ahead pop rock stuff coming out now, and uh, we figured we could do that. And um, and I remembered Wally. I uh, I had heard he was going to uh, be playing. Um, this is like 75 or six. This is after we got back and we broke up. Uh, we took, took a uh, time off. Um, I heard he was playing a school, uh, high, uh, high school dance or something. And I went over and watched him play and, uh, he sounded pretty good and, um, uh, played guitar. And, uh, uh, I watched him through a window through the gymnasium window. I, I, I don't know why I didn't want, didn't go in. Maybe if it wasn't going to be any good, I didn't want to have to tell him. Yeah. <laughs> it sucked. But, uh, uh, went back, told Jimmy, uh, it sounded pretty good. And I, I was going to give him a call. So I called, called Wally and, uh, uh, see if he wanted to come by. And he came by and after a few months of there, we were, a, we were a band. Okay. You still there? You there? I lost you there. Yeah, I lost, I lost you there. <laughs> I lost you. So you guys were a band. Um, yep. And this was what year? This is '76. This is like uh, summer, uh, summer, summer, fall of '76, around August, I think. 
Okay, so you went in to record your first record in 79, right? It was released in 80? Yeah, uh, we had put out two singles. Our, our Manics got together, uh, and our first single was to write a bunch of songs, a bunch of new songs, straight-ahead pop songs, things with really simple choruses, great backbeats, and um, a lot of attitude. And uh, uh, so we put together a whole set. We had like a, a good 15 songs, and... Uh, our thing was to do a single, 45, so we could get in that magazine. Rock, I think it was Rock Scene Magazine out of New York. Okay. And um, and so that was our main initial thing, was to have a single, 45. And um, some friends of ours, an old guitar player that played in one of our high school bands, came over and said he was putting together the new MC5 uh, with Rob Tyner. And it, so it was like two guys from the MC5 and then three he had three musicians from around, around town, three friends of ours we knew. And um, it was going to be a new version of the MC5, the new MC5. And he asked us if we want to play this show uh, down in Detroit. Uh, at, uh, it was, I think it was a disco. And they, were having, they were using it as a, a showcase. Uh-huh. So we wanted, we said, yeah, we'll do it. And he, said, he says, well, let me get Rob Tyner, the lead singer of the five over and McClure and guys. He came over and they both came over and liked it and uh you know we're this pop kind of pop rock kind of hard rock moving around uh good song good choruses and i'm sure they thought it was like this cute pop thing and you know a little bit of edge to it but uh they were doing they they were kind of like in still in like a 70s groove it's all this new wave stuff was happening punk stuff they were kind of looking like still looking like uh long hair kind of bell bottoms and uh right i got you they're okay. really really good really good really good players, really good music, but they were kind of like, they weren't up to what was going on, what was coming out. And, uh, and so we did the show and they had all the press there and radio and, and TV and newspaper. And, and, uh, me and Jimmy had, uh, said, we got to get something to wear. We got to find something for this show. And, uh, we went to this, to Roy- there's a city outside of Detroit called Royal Oak. And, uh, the Salvation Army there, and we went to the Salvation Army. There happened to be like, it must have been some wedding or some thing, some I don't know bowling party. I don't know what it was, but there was these orange, ugly orange, uh, iridescent like shark skin suits, but they're real baggy. <laughs> we had them taken in, and um, so we each we got four of them. There was like twenty of them. We got four of them, picked smaller size, smallest size we could find, and had them. Had them uh, fitted and really skin tight and all that kind of stuff. And uh, we took the bag out of them. They were real baggy. Anyway, um, and we wore these things. And we had the look. We had the, the short set. The set was like kicking ass. We're all over the stage. And we just kind of blew the place up. And uh, nice. we kind of took the we kind of took the spotlight for those guys. But, you know, they were friends of ours. But anyway, so, uh, yeah. And they're all coming up to us. The next thing you know, our single's coming out two weeks later. They asked us back at the club. We opened for uh, Mink DeVille, and uh, and the single came out. We put the, our first single out. Uh, what, what was that? that? I think uh, it was, um, I'm not sure if it was First in Line or Tell It to Carry, and, um, and I can, can't tell you anything. Mm-hmm. It may have been, I can't tell you anything in First in Line. I'm not sure. Uh, but the next one was Tell It to Carry and something else on it from Bob Records. We got Bob decided to put out the second single. 
But anyway, we played the second show with Minkterville, and our managers happened to get us. Uh, they pulled some strings somehow and um, went to the promoter in Detroit. And uh, <laughs> this big show was coming up. It was uh, Peter Frampton with Steve, Steve uh, Miller and Jay Giles. Like, Jay Giles had been one of our favorite bands in between all the, the punk scene and uh, the glitter rock sure, scene. Sure. We'd go to every show to Jay Giles because they were like a Detroit band. They were like, high, you know, high energy, real raw straight ahead blues rock yeah they were great yeah yeah and um and so we'd always go to those shows and so we're here we are we got this gig to open for the uh for jay giles and those guys and uh it was at pontiac the pontiac silverdome like eighty thousand people Whoa. and we just we just did two shows at a club <laughs> and uh you know our first two show, first two shows the third show was uh it's silverdome so this is your third and, show yeah, third oh, show, seven thirty at night. Of course, it wasn't eighty thousand people. It was still. five or six, five or six thousand people. Yeah, you know, it's still, people still coming in. Biggest crowd we ever did. You know, played for, and uh, it went over well. No one threw anything at us. No, no lettuce, no tomatoes, or bottles. <laughs> That's so. always a plus. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we, so it worked, and uh, from that point on, we just started booking all the clubs we could mm-hmm, everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you, your, um, what I like about you came out in '80, I believe it was. Yeah, um, somewhere in there. That's the first album. Uh, we got signed three years later after uh, doing that Pontiac, Pontiac Silverdome, Silverdome show. It was like three and a half years later. We had been going to Boston and New York like many times over and over again, and uh, started to get a following. and And our management was working. Uh, working the, the labels uh we had interest in cbs for a little bit and capital uh capital passed uh we sent them songs but then some other uh, i won't go into that but some other songs showed up that they recorded for someone else that showed up that sounded like our songs ah. <laughs> anyway the demos from the demos but uh anyway uh uh let's see we've been going back to new york and uh we met Peter, uh, uh, no, we, uh, we met, uh, I can't think of his name now. He was the A&R guy for, uh, for Nemper Records, and uh, I'll think of it. Um, and uh, he liked the band, and we kept going back. We did showcases, a few showcases uh, at tracks over there in New York, downtown. And uh, uh, finally, they signed us in uh, 79, I believe, and... Um, and we did the record and came out in 80, 1980, mm-hmm. February 1980. We did it in September, September of 79, uh, recorded it in and Miami. It, it did fairly well, correct? It did pretty good. Yeah, it was in, it was in the top 100 and uh, three songs were released. Um, let's see. Um, Tell it to carry When I Look in Your Eyes. And I think... Uh, I think what I like about you is next. I think it was the third song and each of them went in the top 100. Uh, I think what I like about when uh, you went up to 47, I think, I think it was 47. So I hit the, broke the top 50 and started dropping off the charts and our management. Uh, this was like the first year in the first year and the uh, management, uh, was talking to the label and it's dropping off the charts and they're saying it's time to get out and do another record. <laughs> another record. And, yeah. Another record. What are you talking about? Uh, we hadn't toured England. We hadn't toured Britain or UK or uh, Europe. Were you on a big tour 
We so, were in Georgia, you know, we were, even before we were signed, we were playing with Cheap Trick, Ted Nugent, and uh, a bunch of other larger group, mm-hmm. groups. We would go and play uh, bigger stadiums and stuff, but uh, bigger clubs. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so uh, by the time the record came out, we were, you know, jumped on tours. So um, the first record was out with the Ramones for a while. And uh, let's see, got uh, Ted Nugent, Ramones, Kinks. Uh, police was later. Uh, no, the first that, that was around the first album. Uh, um, that's so awesome. Cars, that you, the cars, yeah. Anyway, so uh, that's so awesome. You went out with all those bands. I mean, that's 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 an experience right there. Well, it takes you from we're doing clubs, all the clubs, and then you're doing a little bit bigger clubs where it holds a thousand people or fifteen hundred, and then you're jumping on big stages. Yeah. So you have to animate yourself more. You have to use the stage, and we're learning. We're yeah. learning how to how to do that, you know. Cheap trick, you know. What a great tour to get on first album. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and you know, learn from those guys. And they were man, it was so cool being out with them. And uh, uh, we did, I think we did the Dream Police tour too. But we're learning and we're using the stage. The hair's getting bigger. The, the clothes <laughs> are getting louder. And uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. You guys, you, you guys had some pretty big hair. Just, you have to just be a bigger show. And. Uh, yeah, you you guys you had some pretty big hair at one point there. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we were going for that little Richard fifties uh, little Richard thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so you so they wanted to pull you off the road and, and get you recording again. So and that's what you yeah. what you did, right? Yeah, that was uh, kind of traumatic because you spend three years, three, four years uh writing and recording the first record and then you find out Instead, it was not a, it wasn't really a right move. The management should have just taken, we should have hit Europe. And I think they were talking about it. And then uh, a tour of Australia came about. And because uh, what I like about you was running up the charts and it was going up the charts in, uh, in the Netherlands. Hmm. And um, so they called us over there from Holland and uh, wanted a video because they still had video shows on TV like England, England did. So we did, uh, we were playing, uh, the whiskey of go-go. And so these guys came out with one camera and did the, what I like about you video, uh, at the whiskey of go-go. We did sound check and then they, uh, came in and with one camera did a close. I, we wanted it to be, uh, my idea was I wanted to have the, uh, intensity of like a hard day's night where you're close up to the face, close up to the hands on the guitar, right? close up to the singing and close up to the drum. Really? you know real close up and so they did that then they shot you know uh on stage and then they, then they shot out in the from the audience edited, edited it and it was probably to me it's one of the better videos we, we did you know and it's probably like a thousand dollars in plates yeah so, it's a fun video yeah i mean it captured the band the right way that was my and, first uh, uh exposure to you guys was that video oh really yeah i was probably um, about eight or nine back then oh wow cool so cool and uh because it had a real grit to it went black and white maybe throw some red in there shirt or you're there or guitar and uh yeah it worked really well we did when i look in your eyes and what uh what i like about you anyway the song started start dropping off the charts and we went in to go to do the second record and i had to come up with new material <laughs> quick uh, and uh and oh god it's the same old story but i started harping on the management for uh for money for royalties and that kind of thing and 
they were getting like uh worried i think and and um you know i i always had the uh the the angst and the on the I was kind of the spark guy like for the songs especially but for the like when when someone wanted to do if we if the thought was that we were going to do three records in a row with the same kind of cover i always wanted to do something different the other way mm-hmm. the other way on the second record so um as you look at the second album uh, it, it's different than the first album but then when i was fired for the band uh the band went back to the pink and looking like the first album right so <laughs> so that's one thing is an artistic thing a disagreement my rebelliousness not handling it in a cooperative way and then me digging into management about royalties and i was out of the, i was out of the picture so uh, they did a rec- yeah they did a record on their own uh didn't do anything and uh um the big thing was it, it's traumatic it's kind of traumatic that you have to go in i mean i mean how hard is it but it's it's traumatic as far as a writer uh it can be traumatic in in 6 months in 3 months you have to come up with a new album after you just recorded the first album yeah i mean, I mean it, within within that, the group was that a lot of pressure i mean yes yeah, well yeah i think it uh it's first of all you've done the first and your your heart's all set on the first and then you're told kind of being told that it's not good enough you have to go out and do the next one and uh or the and we're our thing is well well maybe you should promote it we were getting we weren't getting like um other new bands that were coming out we weren't getting billboard billboard posters and we were getting billboard magazine posters in the magazine we weren't getting a lot of uh, a big push. We mm-hmm. were working our butt off on the road, mm-hmm. which is when I look back on it, I'm grateful for it because it's it's actually it's not a vacant thing. It's a, a thing that builds you into a certain type of musician and uh, writer. Sure, working your butt, working your ass off in front of a crowd instead of uh, on a billboard. You know. Yeah. I mean, my my Sharona was was you know like the million dollars for that whatever it was, whatever it cost in billboard those other groups were getting that kind of treatment. We weren't getting that. Mm-hmm. So what I like about you became was really, what I like about you was really organic the way it came up. It didn't hit number one. It didn't hit the, the top 40, uh, 47 maybe, but um, so it was us working on the road and uh, all of a sudden here, here's MTV, you know, and the video went right to, right to MTV and that just kicked it up another notch. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, MTV yeah. really, yeah put you guys up there yeah so it was never like a big hit it was like something that just happened organically still to this day and um yeah yeah so so yeah. you came back pretty quickly though back to the band and about a year and a half yep about a year and a half i'd started another group uh after about six or eight months and uh i had a good little thing going and then these guys asked me to come out of the road and write so I was itching to get in the studio. I love I love recording. I always yeah, I do too. One of the main things, yeah. I think you know. Yeah, I would it much was rather a big deal in the sixties. You know, go ahead. No, no, I was just saying I'd much rather, especially at this point in my life, much rather record than tour. Yeah, I know, and touring's fun and all that, but it, it's it you know it gets long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> So gratefully, gratefully speaking, though, Romantics have been doing in the last few years, we, we go out on one offs, we do like two or three shows in a week and then we'll come home. So that's, that's, See, that's, that's not nice too bad, show. though. Yeah, that's not too bad. Yeah. But yeah. You, so when you came back to the band, then you guys put out um, In Heat. 
Yeah. Which really um, t- put you guys right up there. Yeah. Well, um, I've said it before. I've said it many times. We, we had this attitude, this raw attitude. I, the first album didn't come out as raw and live as we liked. We were uh-huh. kind of, uh, we were kind of mad about that, but then that's not the way I look at it now. But then at that time he, he was building a record that would last is what the way I look at production, production wise, Pete Sully. He was turning the songs into classics, I think, or, or at least some of the songs. And, um, so it was a cleaner pop sound, but but now when I play it, if you play it and turn it loud, it just it holds up. It really holds mm-hmm. up. The songs hold up. So I'm grateful that you know he didn't do a, a raw live kind of thing um, like everyone else was doing. And most bands, most new wave bands, and uh, uh, the bands coming across from England that were, were would go in and just record. The attitude was to go in, lay it down quick, and get back, get out, you know, and and it have the raw energy bleeding on the tracks, you know, yeah, the the, the mistakes and everything, yeah, or hopefully not, but um, hey, a, a, a mistake here and there is not bad. What's that? What's <laughs> a, that? A mistake here and there isn't too bad. I don't. Oh think. no, man, I love that. That's yeah. that's part of my whole thing, and uh, and but the difference, the difference in the change from when I left the band uh to coming back in the band was uh at that time production turned into more gloss more glossy it, so the, i had been watching the, the the you know the london bands english bands when i was off you know and here you have after having the sex pistols now you've got uh uh oh god well, at that uh, time, you had bands like um, Duran Duran. And, that's right. You know, that's what I was trying to think. All of. those kind of bands coming up. Yeah, Duran Duran, uh, uh, Squeeze, my favorite, one of my favorites, Squeeze, XTC, uh, Nick Lowe, mm-hmm. Spando Ballet. Basically, it was it was like a um, a reinvigorated or a, a newer version, young version of Roxy Music is what they were doing, pretty much Duran Duran of that, mm-hmm. in my eyes. And uh, so the production changed so even though we were writing rockers the production got even more glossy so um so we i how do i put it i i had come up with this, this baseline uh early on in the process of writing for the for the in the heat record and uh it became talking in your sleep um at rehearsal uh pre-production before that we were jamming in in our st- little studio and uh uh, then the producer comes in and he heard, heard us jamming with that, that little, that little ditty, that little song. And, uh, we had a full set of 12 songs, whatever, and, uh, tossed out a few songs and we recorded the, went to Criteria Studios in, in Miami, Florida and, uh, recorded all the tracks and he comes out and says, we need, a, we need one more song. And, uh, um, he asked me about that baseline that I was doing and, uh, that thing me and Jimmy used to jam on and it was just a jam at the time. And, uh, he goes, what about that thing you had? And, uh, we, we pulled it out and started playing it. And, uh, uh, we just started working on it. Like we needed another song. So we, he said, well, this might work. Uh, it's got a good groove. And, uh, we got a verse music verse. Uh, and he goes, come on, let's get the control room. He brings us in the control room, gets his, gets a, bring the Wurlitzer piano into the control room. We start, you know, banging our heads. 
you know, actually just sitting back and throwing things around and, uh, yeah. me, Jimmy, me, Jimmy and Peter and, uh, uh, Wally Causer in the back room throwing in two cents and, but we we're right up there. Uh, Jimmy and I, and we're just coming up with, uh, ideas and grooves and, uh, Pete being a keyboard, great keyboard player. He was coming up with a, a turnaround from the verse and then we're going into the chorus and, uh, you know, and Jimmy, I think he had uh, the title "Talking to Your Seat" popped out, and he had was already coming up with melodies. And it's just in the studio, something happens. There's an electricity sometimes. You just you're in a in a you might be in a in a fix, but it's almost like you go into another state, state of mind, and you're thinking you're all thinking the same thing, and uh, your mind goes into some kind of uh, creativity thing and uh things happen and you just uh and you grab them as they pop out and uh use them yeah so uh one thing leads to the other they get it we get a title someone 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 brought up uh talking in your sleep and then next thing you know it's i hear the secrets that you keep when you're talking in your sleep and uh, uh jimmy went home to the hotel or went back to the hotel that night and finished up lyrics he was going to sing it. I think he was going to sing the song. Uh, Jimmy sang what I liked and uh-huh. uh, it would have been great. You know, I was all up for it. And uh, I think there was some turmoil there. Uh, Wally wanted to sing it. So uh, Wally ended up singing it and um, it came out and it took off. Yeah. Who so would have thought, we're, right? We're, you, we were back. <laughs> it, it almost didn't get on the album and then look at it. Your, your <laughs> yeah, biggest song. exactly. Yeah. The guy that worked there, uh, the guy that worked in the back, uh, cleaning up after all the band after we're recording and everything and he goes man i know that's a hit that's a hit i've heard all the songs i've, I've heard songs uh i've heard i feel good was recorded here and i knew that was a hit when i heard it because i heard a recent i knew when she had when she had a hit yeah because that's a hit and we go we walk out going yeah okay did did you not think it was going to be a hit we just we just thought it was a really good song so yeah. it's really yeah that's a good tune it's gonna be good on the record you know we finished the record and we felt good about the whole thing yeah, well, that's and, a, that um, song is still relevant today. Yeah, I mean, that's what I meant about the production. He, he, it's the song and it's it's the vibe and it's the um, just what I like about you. What, I didn't think two two, two uh, minutes about the chords. I mean, I came up with it at home, brought it in, and Jimmy was uh, at the studio, and uh, I told him get on the drums, man. I got this idea. Yeah, and it was what I, it became. What I like about you. He started singing it uh, right away, and. Uh, by the time the other two guys showed up, we had uh, we had the, the complete, you know, we had the song was well rounded out and ready to go. And uh, he was just blasting out thoughts, you know, lyrics from the top of his, of his head. I think he did that for two years before he recorded it because he was always jamming, uh-huh. you know. At uh, you know, he'd have one set verse, and then he'd you know look at the crowd and he'd he'd pick out people in the crowd and he'd write about whoever's in the crowd or something, you know, one of the girls or something. And uh, yeah you know, eventually, eventually settled in on lyrics when we recorded it. Yeah. I mean, I remember, uh, you know, the days of MTV cause talking in your sleep was huge on MTV and, uh, and, and radio. But what was cool back then, and this is how I knew of you guys, I was more into, like I was listening to the radio and watching MTV, trying to listen to and see the Def Leppard videos and the quiet riot videos. Well, yeah. But, sure. but at that time, which is different from today, those songs talking in your sleep would be mixed in between Def Leppard and Quiet Riot. It was all together. Yeah, we took it kind of like 
because since the production had changed from the punk rock raw edge thing, we still had the energy on stage and, and all the attitude. And, um, but, um, uh, since the, the production had changed, we went off, went, you know, balls out for just, uh, a, a stonesy kind of like groove, you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of a thinking in terms of a stonesy dance song mm-hmm. or something. Talking mm-hmm. to your Yeah. And, uh, no, it's great. Yeah, so that it worked. It worked well, and then the MTV jumped on it, it took off. Yeah, that took you to and, another level, didn't it? Yeah, well, the guy that was in, in CBS, uh, who was promoting it, um, he uh, p- pushed that right to number two, right up to against you uh, against Yes. I think it was the owner of a Lonely Heart was number yeah. one, uh-huh. and then uh, he got asked to uh, manage uh, Michael Jackson. And he, so he jumped off promotion and he went to Michael Jackson. Next thing you know, our single one, one in a million came out and was climbing up the charts. And as soon as he left, the song started falling slowly, slowly, slowly falling off the charts. Nobody was pushing it. <laughs> well, I, I don't know what happened, but yeah, he was, he was a monster as far as promoting. Yeah. Yeah. Really yeah. So then what, I mean, did you guys, was there a time when the romantics uh, took a break or stopped? Cause you guys, from what I understand, you've been, on the road for no. a long time. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And um, uh, we, uh, once we got on the road in the 80s, in late 70s, 80s, uh, we were on the road every year. So this this pandemic past, last year uh, off the road was the first time we were off the road for Wow, from so ever, that whole ever. time yeah. you guys continue. So, yeah. So, um, you know, we've always, we were always out promoting something or uh, the last few years more or less just doing shows, you know, going out and yeah. The songs and so now that you have your solo stuff is coming out i mean what you have the album coming out in september are you going to be touring solo uh solo tour yeah this endeavor uh uh romantics i uh, have a few a few stuff for the for the end of the year um i've got guys i've worked with in detroit i was asked to do uh, uh last year um i think it was last year time's flown so fast I was asked to do Detroit music for them, and I had just released uh, maybe three or four songs. I think 67 Riot, Carrie Got Married, uh, Dark Side of Your Love, and Not My Business came out. And um, and uh, that was uh, uh, digital, digital release. They were all digital releases. And, um, and I got a call from someone who works with the Detroit uh, Music Awards. And they needed someone to play, so they asked me if I wanted to do a show. So I hadn't done anything, anything in a while, and let alone put together a band. So I ended up calling guitar players that I worked with, guitar player I worked with with in nineteen mid seventies, one of the guys from that club band I, I worked with, and he's a great guitar player, uh, Bobby East out of Detroit, and uh, and then uh, Ricky Rad, who was with the Dead Boys, played bass. He's from Detroit. He played with the Trash Rats, a, a band kind of like. Uh, Say like Iggy meets uh, the New York Dolls or mm-hmm. something, but uh, uh, he came in on guitar. Bobby came in on guitar, so I, I wanted a three guitar thing. And these guys were my friends, and they graciously uh, honored me, honored the stage with me. And uh, uh, Brad came out. I had uh, Rich on bass and another bass player because I had Rich come out on What I Like About You, nice from Romantics. That had to be but fun. I had this other, yeah. And uh, we did the show. We did the show at uh, the 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 uh, 
the hall in Detroit. Oh, I can't think of the name of it at the moment. Uh, the Fillmore in Detroit. And um, it went over really well. I mean, it, people were just, it went really well. We did a sound check. We got on and lights were good. Sound was good. And uh, I had a couple of backup singers and uh, Rich's wife and another girl. And um, and it was just really cool. And uh, so I got noticed there. And uh, so that's the first thing. And uh, so I'll have probably some of those guys out with me uh, when I do shows with that Detroit band. Okay. Uh, Ricky, Ricky, Brad, uh, Bobby, probably. I'm not sure if Rich will be available. Available. I'll have another bass player. And uh, already got some interest, so. Nice. We'll see what happens, yeah. Well, if you make it out this way, if you remember, let yeah. me know. Shoot, shoot me an email or something, but I, I'll keep a watch out for it, see how close you get. Joe, Joe absolutely, Joe, man. Yeah, for I'd sure. I'd love to come out there. You know what? We not, played, not many we played out we played out there, um, the Romantics played out there two or three years ago. What's the big, you know, what? the big mansion, tur- mansion turned into a hotel, the Beaumont, the, 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 the it's a, a huge, like a hundred, 120 bathrooms. It's huge. It's in, uh, North Carolina or South Carolina. I can't oh, believe I don't it. know. You guys didn't There's play a, um, uh, a racetrack out here. Did you? Uh, Florida. We did a couple in Florida and California. Oh, okay. Doing one there. I forget who, who. Oh yeah. Wait, wait. I think we did. No, that might have been Atlanta. Outside Atlanta. It was during the um, in May. What's in May? The uh, the race in May. Well, uh, every the, May. I don't. Re- I don't remember. But I think it was like I don't know five years ago or something. <laughs> but it was I probably. Think, I think Rick Springfield played, and then I thought yeah. it was you guys, but maybe not. I don't know. I think you're right. I didn't get I, to see the show, but I remember. I remember the advertising. Yeah, I think you're right. I think we were out there. We, yeah. yeah, not many bands come out this way. Must be out of the way. We, uh, you're in North Carolina or South Carolina? South Carolina. Oh, Ash was Asheville. Well, I'm uh, on the coast. What's on the coast? I'm on the coast in Myrtle Beach. Yeah, we play there a lot. Yeah, we, right on the beach over there. Yeah, I do have. Uh, my friend Ron Keel. I don't know if you know Ron, but he's coming yeah, out. He's coming out here at the end of the month, and uh, I was talking to him today, so we're going to meet up. So that'll be the first time that I've actually uh, seen oh, a show in forever. Yeah, I, I haven't been. Let's see, I've been to a show. No, I haven't been to a show yet. So I, you know, I just did the thing with. Uh, actually, the thing was before the pandemic. What am I talking about? When I played the Detroit Music Awards, was here before. Yeah. So it's been two years instead. I didn't do anything last year. Yeah, not, not many people did, <laughs> except you recorded a lot of songs. Yeah, that was the point. I mean, I like I said before, um, uh, these songs were all ready to go at the right time. And I just started, I said, what am I going to do? I got these songs. They sound great. I'm, what's the best way I could put them out? And uh, got some help with a few different people uh, promoting and uh, just started releasing things. Do you like the idea of releasing singles rather than a full album? Well, um, what do you think? I mean, the way it is now, I think with the attention span and and there's no radio really uh, taking new new things. And like whenever a new record came out, when we were coming up, they play the whole record. They play right. the whole record, and the FM station might play the whole record, and then they they'd get a couple songs off that and the, the zero in on one song, and that would become the hit or whatever. But now. I think it's just so uh, automatic now. It, uh, 
it's better to hit them with a song here and there every three or four months and get their attention and then 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 put out an ep or or a full length in mm-hmm. my, right now and uh really concentrate on one song because i think a lot of songs get washed over if, if you reach the album you know anyway. i think i so, agree with but, that yeah but i'm in a different boat i'm in a different, different boat i'm coming out on my own and so it's kind of like visibility for me it's like i want to be to be visible i want to have something coming out regularly in, in, in you know every three or four months yeah so it's really building a brand or building my name uh showing that i'm coming out doing this on my own and um romantics were always four lead singers uh we all could sing and no one knows that really uh, they don't they don't know that i can you know you know hold that, that place and yeah. uh so yeah. well you're doing so uh you're redoing uh what i like about you right i just did um yeah. I, I I wanted to do it with uh, Romantics. The idea was to put out something uh, for 40 years and uh, in the business. And uh, I decided, wait, I'm gonna, I'll wait till a year after the pandemic, and uh, I'll go 41 years. You know, the 41 year anniversary, 41st anniversary wow. of uh, what I like about you. And uh, and um, I drew it on my own with Brad, and I'm on, I play bass on it. I play guitar on it, and. Uh, me and Brad cut a really raw, we cut a really raw rhythm track with, uh-huh. my, with the Rickenbackers and uh, and uh, finished it off with my son, helped me record the vocals, and uh, it came out really raw, really good. Yeah, I, I like really it. Good. I heard it. I like it. it yeah. Thank you. Now, yes. <laughs> that must have been a blast doing it with your son 41 yeah, years later. I mean, yeah, I was in, in Chicago with Brad. I go, let's lay down the track. Uh, let's do a little thing with uh with what I like about you, I think it was that that session. I'm pretty sure it was that session, and uh, we just tore through it. And then it sat for for a little while, and and you know I just thought about it. Why not put it out on the anniversary? And uh, I got my son in there. He's a, a graphic artist, and he's uh, into recording and uh, mostly photo- photography. But uh, uh, came in and did a really good job. I sent it off to Chuck, and he mixed it. And he I mixed it really hot. Uh-huh. So it's uh. It's kicking ass. It's really good. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm, I'm assuming the other guys and the romantics are on board with it. Um, I don't know. <laughs> uh, you didn't ask them. You know, it's really, it's really my opinion. To yeah, my, yeah. My, you have to meet everybody else is, is doing it. Everybody. Yeah. Not everybody. Not everybody else. I shouldn't put it that way. <laughs> I mean, others have, have done it, and um. I, it was just timing. It's just timing. Yeah. Forty years. I thought the band was going to do something like that, and I was in a position to do it, and and I want to sing it. And so, um, so you did it. That's the way. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't really Good. think think in terms of hurting anyone or smiting anybody or anything like that. It was just it felt good at the right time. Yeah. So, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Now you think you'll be uh, doing any uh, new stuff with the Romantics? Yeah, I'm always there to do that. Um, I'm always proposing it. Uh, you know, it, it hasn't come to fruition yet. Um, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I don't really. I, I. It'd be really great to do a tour with a new record. That's the thing. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I don't know what's going to happen yet. We'll see. Yeah. I'm working on this right now, and uh, we're managed to have some contracted shows, and we'll probably get a few more, and so to fill, to fill the year out, and then the new year that we'll probably get some more. But I'm just going to play it by ear and. I've got a little group here in Portland that I uh, kind of a uh, pop hard rock 
it's kind of a grungy blues, bluesy thing. It's kind of garagey blues, and then I, that's a that's a different thing. And then I've got this thing I'm doing with my stuff. So what's the name of yeah. your little band? Um, I'm not sure yet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the underdowns. I don't know. <laughs> hey, I, don't know. I like that name. But uh, and then I don't now, know yet. Now you also have a. I believe it's a, a stream or something. What are you doing with the Johnny Thunder's it's, birthday bash? Oh yeah, um, I did a thing with uh, with Barry uh, Epfel, who's a bass player, and he played with uh, Thunders for a while. Um, uh, Walter Luer. Walter Luer was in the Heartbreakers with the Johnny Thunders after the first version of Heartbreakers. The first version had uh, Tom Verlaine from Television. They broke up, and then uh, the next version was with uh, uh, with other guys, Walter Moore. And I used to run into him in New York. We play shows in New York around the coast. East coast. And, uh, um, it was all, hi, hello, how you doing, man? What's going on? You know, that kind of thing. And uh, I really loved his playing. Walter Moore was great. A Les Paul rocker, you know. There's a certain guy, kind of guy that plays Les Paul, a certain kind yeah. of rocker. And, um, and I called him up. I saw they were doing a... Um, they were honoring him. I don't think it was his birthday. It was an honor, honor everything because he passed away. Um, and I just noted, no, look, I've been a fan of Walter Doerr. I used to run into him in New York when romantics were there. And if you need any help or if you need, if you'd like, I, I could do a song or video or something. Like him. And, uh, and I sent the note out and he got back. He said, yeah, come out and send it out. And it was getting late, so I had to get jump jump on it fast. So that I work with here in Portland, one uh, is a drummer from uh, Flock of Seagulls. Uh, okay, Kevin uh, Kevin Rankin, and another guy who played with Tommy uh, Two Tone on bass. And uh, we just went in, and I go, look, uh, let's do a couple songs. We do them for Thunders and send it out. And we did, and, and it went over really well. Uh, he called me back. He said, look, we're doing this again. It, the, he did the show and everything. We got good, re, good, good, uh, good talk back, good response. And he said, "You got to do the next one. Uh, it's going to be for Thunders, Johnny Thunders' birthday." So I just did last night. We went in and zoomed. My son uh, got the video camera out, and uh, we did uh, four songs. Uh, Thunders used to do Pipeline, so I did Pipeline, and the Dolls did uh, a song called Courageous Cat. It was another instrumental. So we did two instrumentals. And a song called "Leave Leave Me Alone," and uh, we came out with uh, "Born to Born to Born to Lose," a shorter version. So we did four songs, uh, and uh, sent it out. We're sending it out in a day or two. There, so it's going nice. to be uh, streamed for the Johnny Thunder's uh, birthday. That's awesome. great rocker. Johnny Thunder's a great rocker, man. Yeah, he had yeah. some problems, and everybody does. And Everyone he does. Just yeah, kicked ass. Yeah, yeah. Well, man, Mike, you sound like you've been nonstop since you started. <laughs> I'm kind of a, the last week has been crazy. I got two, two or three hours of sleep last night. Video and uh, earlier, and I just really appreciate uh, you me to come on this show. I'll do it again anytime. And uh, awesome. I'm going to look up your, mu your music. I wasn't aware of uh, a couple of the bands you've been, been in. So yeah, I'll email you a couple too. That's great, man. And um, right. we've got a single of 67 Ride I can sing out, send out to you. Uh, I have uh, my uh, 
helper here and wife uh, <laughs> send out a single and a t-shirt or something. Uh, awesome. I, I appreciate that. Like. What's that? Yeah. What's that? What's that? What's that? I'll send a t-shirt out. Send a t-shirt out to you. 67 riot awesome yeah definitely i'll send you uh my info i'll email you. oh yeah great 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 okay yeah we did i did uh 67 riot t-shirts i was calling the the band was 67 riot for that tour for that little jaunt there uh -huh. not even a tour but awesome. yeah yeah definitely okay well great great stay in touch and i'll stay in touch with you and man and uh good luck to you and uh be well yeah you too man i Thanks, appreciate uh, it mike I'm good old, good all you do all right buddy thank you Take care. Bye. Bye. That's all for this week. Join us next week for another episode of the Rock and Roll and Coffee Show podcast. Available on all your favorite podcast listening platforms.